1: Here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. He's Phil Edwards and my name is Mike Spring. Pay strict attention to what I say because I choose my words carefully and I never repeat myself. I've told you my name, that's the who. The where could most readily be described as my office in front of a microphone. But there's a vast difference between being stuck in a tiny room and being in prison. The what is easy. Recently, I planned and set in motion events to execute the perfect bank robbery, or at least the perfect podcast. That's also the when. As for the why, beyond the obvious financial motivation, of which there's very little in the world of podcasts, <laughs> it's exceedingly simple. Because I can. Which leaves us only with the how. And therein, as the bard would tell us, lies the rub. And that's all I got.
0: Help! I've st- stuck behind the wall. I can't get out. Help me! <laughs>
1: spoilers phil yeah no spoilers rosebud <laughs> we're just full oh, of spoilers this episode i like
0: that no nice uh, nice using the intro i didn't think of that
1: thank you i'm a i'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a well tell people what, what's the intro from first of all yes
0: if you weren't aware that is the opening monologue in spike lee's inside man which is one of the films we'll be going after the ending and we'll also be doing a little film from 1941, called Citizen Kane, which was just just to get. I was going to say this for a trivia one, but let's just remember that this was uh, this was Orson Welles' first film at the age of 25, and he directed, co-wrote, starred in it, and produced it. His very first feature film, Citizen Kane. I mean, oh,
1: what, what how, was that? To compete
0: with that? What was that? I threw noise? a pen on the table. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how angry you got me. You know, 25 years old, and you make Citizen Kane.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, and it's and it has been, you know, as at the number one spot on more than a few, you know, top one hundred films yeah, of all yeah. time or top ten films of all time. I think AFI might have it as their number one film of all time. I mean, it is widely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time, and so, yeah. What were you doing at twenty five, Phil?
0: Uh, <laughs> Not making that,
1: Citizen Kane, I'll bet.
0: Probably drinking whatever made me forget what I was doing at twenty five. <laughs> I think yeah, I finished university and was working in a comic shop. There you go. I was
1: doing the same thing, actually, ironically.
0: Which which at the time was living the dream.
1: That's right, that's right. Well, those are the movies we're going to tackle. We're also going to revisit the beginning of the 80s in our 100 years of Hollywood and 100 episodes. But before that, Phil, why don't we take down this titanic film of colossal proportions that has rocked the cinema world for nearly a century? Uh, We certainly will. Rosebud is the word on
0: everybody's lips. Okay, but let's get to it. Uh, As always, with both Citizen Kane and Inside Man, our introductions will run through some of the events of the film, so there will be spoilers. And if you've never seen Citizen Kane, the whole thing of what is Rosebud is the whole thing run through the film. And And we're going to spoil it, so... Yeah, we're going to spoil the hell out of it. The film publishing tycoon Charles Foster Kane... Yeah, Charles Foster Kane dies, and his last words are Rosebud. And he was in his huge mansion called Xanadu. Reporter Jerry Thompson, played by William Allen, is tasked with d- discovering the meaning of Rosebud. Who or what was Rosebud? We then follow Jerry as he interviews Kane's friends and associates. He learns that Kane's childhood began in c- poverty in Colorado, but gold was found on the property in 1871, and Charles Kane was sent to live with a banker by the name of William Park Thatcher to get a proper education. Charles didn't want to go with Thatcher and hit the man with his sledge, uh, with his sled. When he hit 25, Charles got his trust fund, so he was very rich, and he entered the newspaper business. Kane's life had lots of ups and downs, but mainly ups, but he ended up becoming a hugely successful uh, newspaper tycoon by manipulating public opinion about the Spanish-American War and marrying Emily Norton, who was niece of the President of America. Kane ends up having an affair with a singer by the name of Susan Alexander. This ruins Kane's chances of a political career, and Emily leaves him. Kane marries Susan, but she eventually leaves him after years of uh, cruel manipulation by Kane. Yeah, and Kane's butler, Raymond, says that Kane began destroying Susan's belongings but when she left, but he calmed down when he saw a snow globe and he said the words Rosebud. Kane's belongings are being sorted out, and Thompson says he cannot solve the mystery. As the film ends, we see Rosebud is the name of the sled that eight year old Charles Kane was playing on when he was taken from Colorado. Kane's staff think it is junk and throw the sled. Into the Furnace, the end.
1: It's a cheerful film. It's kind of like a, a light comedy.
0: It is. Although it does have some moments of mirth in it, but it's, uh, I, I personally love the film. I think it's brilliant.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, You know, I didn't like it the first time I watched it. I watched mm. it in high school in a journalism yeah. class, and I was kind of bored because I was, you know, it's a teenager, and I... Didn't really know any better, but uh, I watched it again a few years later. I think I saw it in a film class in college, and I, I definitely uh, had a much different opinion the second time around watching it with slightly older eyes. And, and now I do love it. So yeah, it is yeah, a well, classic.
0: But, but running through, I mean, anybody listening who's never seen it and did stay to listen to the the rundown, it does sound like quite a boring little story. Just some guy gets rich, manipulates people, and <laughs> that. But it just right. it just pulls it just pulls you through. It there's great scenes, and it just the way it's done and cut and everything. I just think it's a uh, so well done.
1: Yes, agreed. Agreed.
0: Okay, but that's, uh, that's what happened in the film. Mike, what happens after the ending in your eyes?
1: Okay, well, Char- speaking of eyes, Charles Foster Kane opens his eyes and looks around. <sighs> the room he's in seems tiny, like it was made for a much smaller person. As he regains his senses, things start to look familiar. Digging into the recesses of his memory, he realizes that he's in his childhood bedroom in Colorado. He looks around in shock, unsure of how he got here. Unbeknownst to him, the snow globe he was holding when he died was mystically enchanted with the power to give the owner one dying wish. Even though Cain didn't know this, with his final word, Rosebud, he revealed what his heart had truly wished for, his childhood happiness. As he looks around his room in shock, he eventually looks down and is astonished when it becomes clear that not only is he in his childhood bedroom again, but he's in his eight-year-old body as well. As this new information sinks in, he hears his mother calling to him. Charles, she calls, there's a beautiful new snowfall outside. Why don't you grab your sled and head out? Grinning with wild glee, he grabs Rosebud and runs outside. Ah. And that's my day after. Oh, that's nice. Thanks. Hmm. Mm. Where's it
0: going to go from there? Mm.
1: Well, we shall see. Yes, okay. All right, well, how about your day after? Okay, Jerry
0: Thompson, the reporter, is sad that he didn't find out who or what Rosebud was. But going through his notes, he realizes he has the potential to write an amazing book. As he looks through his files... A small piece of paper falls to the floor. Jerry picks it up and realises it's a handwritten note, but it's not one of his. The note reads, We need to talk. Beware the suits. I will be in touch. There's nothing else on the paper, and Jerry has no idea where it came from. Puzzled, he shrugs and throws the piece of paper in the bin. The doorbell rings, causing Jerry to jump. Chuckling to himself, Jerry opens the door. Two men in black suits stand there. Jerry Thompson, the first one asks. Jerry blinks and finds he is standing at his desk looking over his notes. He pauses, feeling as if he has forgotten something. must have been nothing, he mutters to himself. And that's my day after.
1: Got to admit, I did not see Agents J and K showing up in your <laughs> after the ending for Citizen Kane. So I'm very intrigued as to where this Thank is going.
0: You. Well, we'll find out. Maybe, maybe not.
1: All right, all right.
0: Okay, then what's going on then in your mystical snow
1: globe? Okay, well, 17 years later, Charles Kane has just gained control of his trust fund for the second time. Mm. Having his adult intelligence and the memories of his entire life behind him, the last two decades have been completely different. While he still went to live with Thatcher as a child, he had plenty of times to make plans for his eventual wealth. Realizing that his last life was miserable and wasted, Cain is determined to forge a new path this time. When his wealth comes under his control, Cain does not go into the newspaper publishing business, instead investing his money into an electronic engineering company. The company, known as the Radio Kane Organization, or RKO, (laughs) becomes a pioneer in radio broadcasting and electronics, creating a great number of technological advancements. Kane also used his profits to experiment with radio and filmmaking initiatives, including a radio broadcast about an alien invasion that took the nation by storm. (laughs) With the massive profits generated by RKO, Kane diverts a stream of funds into scientific invention and education, realizing that the future belongs to those who can innovate. And that's my immediate aftermath.
0: Oh, very nice. So he's going to live his whole life again. That's good.
1: Yeah, um, I kind of thought yeah. like, you know, his first life was pretty miserable, so if he had a second chance, I think he would do it a, a different a different way. Yeah, yeah, very good. Thank you, thank you. All right. How about your immediate aftermath then?
0: Okay. Jerry had decided not to write the book about Kane. His notes weren't as complete as he remembered, and he kept and he kept getting headaches. <laughs> he managed to get to work each day, but he did feel under the weather. On a rainy Thursday morning, He was walking to work when a cab pulled up. The passenger door opened. Get in, the driver said. A small wiry man in need of a shave. Jerry just stood there. The driver pointed back down the road. They're after you. Jerry turned and saw two men in black suits pushing through the crowd, their attention clearly on Jerry. Jerry took a deep breath and jumped into the cab. The driver floored it and after a madcap drive that took them all over the city, they stopped inside an old warehouse. The driver got out and closed the main doors before motioning to Jerry to follow him. They climbed some rickety stairs to a small office. Plastered on the walls were articles about Kane, various other public figures, disasters that had been going on over the past few years, and lots more. Red string covered them all in a strange, chaotic cobweb. My name is Jack Skinner, and we need to talk about Kane. What about Kane? Asked Jerry. Sit down. Let me tell you about the Martians, said Jack. But that's uh, that's my immediate aftermath. Very
1: intriguing. I like
0: it. Thank you. Okay, then what's going on then? How is Cain's uh, investment in innovation changing the world?
1: Okay, well, 50 years later, Charles Foster Kane is once again at his deathbed. Surrounding him are his large family, including his wife, a lovely woman named Sarah, his five children and his 13 grandchildren. All of them are weeping, knowing that the loss of their beloved paternal figure will be a huge blow to the Cain family. Over the years, RKO went on to be a major influence on in the worlds of science, entertainment, technology, and charity, and the impact Charles Kane had on the world was immeasurable. One of Charles's grandchildren, Charles Third, comes up to Kane with the sled in his hands. It's Rosebud. Grandpa, the young child asks, what's this? Drawing a deep breath and with no small amount of effort, he says, that, my boy, was my first happiness. Whatever you do in life, make sure you find your happiness— You won't believe how important it is. And with that, Charles Foster Kane passes gently into the night. He feels a tugging sensation, and before he knows what happened, he finds himself at the gates of heaven. A friendly-looking man and an older, more disheveled man see him and wave. The two of them walk up, and the first one says, Well, hello, Charles. We've been waiting for you. I'm George Bailey, and this is my friend Clarence. (laughs) We're here to help you get acclimated and settle in. Charles shakes both their hands, looks at the shimmering gates ahead, smiles, and says, What are we waiting for? And that's the end. Oh, that was lovely. That was lovely, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. I did have a feeling that George and uh, Clarence
0: were going to show up, but I'm glad he did. Yeah, that it was. Perfect sense. I, I
1: was trying to, you know, I figured, like, Charles found his happiness and I was like well yeah. what other character also found his happiness and who I, who typifies that more than George Bailey you know yeah, who yeah. who found his happiness so I kind of thought it was a neat little tie in
0: but that's uh, that's good advice for everybody that's right isn't it find your happiness and hold on to it as long as you can exactly but don't hold on too long otherwise i get really creepy and weird
1: <laughs> good advice phil as always yeah Yes, thank you. <laughs> no, I
0: really liked that. It was really nice. Thanks. Yeah.
1: All right, well, let's hear your long term then. I want to hear about these mysterious men.
0: Okay. It had been a hectic few months, but Jerry felt a passion for his work he'd never felt before. He was writing up what he had learned from Jack and his three friends, Melvin, John, and Richard, along with what they had discovered on their travels. Martians had landed in Grover's mill years before. <laughs> Kane had been approached by the U.S. government to help cover it up. Kane could manipulate the press to ensure alien stories did not appear or were met with ridicule. The government made a deal with the aliens to stop an invasion, but it, but it meant the aliens could abduct humans to experiment on. Ooh. Strange Men in Black also helped with the cover-up. Now Jerry was writing up their findings, ready to release it to the world once the next stage of the operation was complete. Hidden deep in the depths of Xanadu were photos and technology from the Martians that Kane had kept hidden from the government. Kane had always liked to keep some insurance. Jack, Jerry and the three others were heading out to steal it. Dun, dun, dun. That's it. Dun, bum,
1: bum. I like it. Set, setting up another sequel. Yes. I like how you tied into the uh, you know the War of the Worlds with Grover's Mill and everything, and then took it in the the alien direction. I like that he, that Kane was covering stuff up for the government because he could do that with his power as a as yeah, publisher. Yeah. So. And that you, was, see, you saw
0: Xanadu. Cool. He had so many different things. So much. That's right. Knocking right? about. He must even have had the thoughts. name,
1: even the name, Xanadu sounds a, yeah. little, a little science fictiony.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's our ending's first Citizen Kane. I like, I like, uh, I like yours and like mine. It's good.
1: Likewise, indeed. Mm. All right. Well, do you have any Citizen trivia for us?
0: Charles Foster Kane was was based on the uh, the newspaper publisher William Randolph Hearst, who was a real guy. Uh, and uh, Hearst was so angry about the film that he accused Wells of being a communist to keep the film from being released. Didn't quite work though. Uh, there was also a few scenes that uh, Wells did want to include, which did allude to various dark dealings that Hearst might have been involved with, but he ended up leaving them out because, you know, he did want to live. <laughs> uh, right. it, at the time, though, it was a box office flop. And during the uh, the 1941 Academy Awards ceremony, when the nine, nine nominations were announced, it was booed every time it was mentioned. Jeez. That's crazy. Uh, as we said, Wells was just 25 when he did everything on it. The original nitrate negatives are long gone as they were lost in a fire back in the 1970s. And the audience that watches Kane give his speech... Was actually a still photo, and hundreds of holes were pricked in it with a pin, and lights were moved behind it to give the illusion of movement, huh, and that's, that's movie cool. magic. There you go. Well, because yeah, because Orson Welles and all the all the cast in it were basically the, the Mercury players who he uh, like did lots of stage work with. So I think there was lots of theatre magic in there, and they they did revolutionise some camera work, having breakaway sets so the camera could appear to fly into, you know, rooms and across roofs and things like that. But uh, right. it's worth watching just for the technical aspects as well of the film.
1: For sure, for sure. Yeah.
0: But that's Citizen Kane.
1: All right, very good. Well, let's move on then to our next film, which is Inside Man.
0: Yes, a very good film which I must watch again because I really enjoyed it.
1: Well, I have time to say, I, I had not seen it since it came out and I watched it again last night and uh, I still love it. It really holds up. It is such a good, just a cracking film, like really fun and, and suspenseful. And even if you know how it ends, it's still completely entertaining from start to finish.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a very tight film and it's a hell of a cast as well.
1: Oh, it really is. Yeah. Well, let me tell you about said cast, shall I?
0: Tell us, as we, and as we said before, spoilers ahead.
1: Yes. So I tried to keep this short, but there's a lot of information I had to get in here. So bear with me. Inside Man 2006, directed by Spike Lee, starring Denzel Washington, Clive Owen, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Jodie Foster, who's never looked better, in my opinion, uh, Christopher Plummer and Willem Dafoe. So the film starts off with a man named Dalton Russell, played by Clive Owen, telling us that he has pulled off a perfect bank robbery. Then in New York City, we see a group of men and women in painter's uniforms storm a bank and take about 50 hostages. They make everyone get dressed in matching painter's uniforms. Police surround the bank and detectives Keith Fraser, Denzel, and Bill Mitchell, Chiwetel Ejiofor, take charge of the negotiations. At the same time, the bank's owner, Arthur Case, played by Christopher Plummer, retains the mysterious Miss White, none other than Jodie Foster, to ensure that his secret inside the bank doesn't get out. She gets inside and Dalton reveals that he now has proof from a safe deposit box that Case got the money to start his bank by working with the Nazis in World War II. The detectives play cat and mouse with Dalton, and the film is intercut with post-robbery scenes of the detectives interrogating all of the various hostages from within the bank, as well as the thieves doing some kind of construction project in the storage room. Eventually, the police storm the bank and all the hostages run out, including the robbers who are pretending to be hostages, but they're all indistinguishable because they're all wearing the same outfits. The police can't figure out who's who. Frazier is ordered to bury the case since the thieves didn't actually steal anything, but he won't let it go. Eventually, Dalton lives up to his promise to Fraser that he was going to walk right out the front door, and we learn that he built a fake wall in the storage room and has been living behind it for the past week, along with a massive amount of diamonds he stole from Case's safe deposit box. He bumps into Fraser on the way out. Frazier confronts Case with a single ring that Dalton left in the safe deposit box that will lead back to the Nazi money. The film ends with Frazier having been promoted thanks to his dealings with Miss White and his discovery of a diamond in his pocket that Dalton left there when he bumped into him. And that is Inside Man. Excellent. I think you covered everything there. Thanks. I tried to keep it short, but like I said, there's a lot. Of, every time I try to leave something out, I'm like, well, that's kind of important. So,
0: yeah, any, anything like it with the heist film, you sort of... Yeah, you do have yeah, to sort you, of... You've got to get most of the bits. You've got to get all the beats, in, haven't you?
1: Right. There's a lot of other really just fun, cool moments throughout the movie, but that's the nutshell, so... Yeah.
0: I do like a good heist movie.
1: Indeed. Mm. All right, Phil, well, I'm curious to see where you went with this, so let's hear your day after.
0: Okay, during his drive home, Fraser went over the events of the past few days. He realized when the diamond could have been put in his pocket, but he cannot recall any details of the man who did it. Known he would be a fool to try and sell the diamond, Fraser keeps it mainly as a souvenir and possibly for a rainy day later in life. He'd been called back to the bank once the fake wall in the storeroom had been uncovered. He admired the thieves for their ingenuity and the fact they hadn't hurt anyone. He felt that it could possibly be worth reviewing some old cold cases to see whether this particular MO fitted any of them. As he sat down after a busy day, he turned on the TV. He watched for a bit and was about to go for a shower when the news came on and reported that Arthur Case was being questioned about possible war crimes. That's my day after.
1: Very good. I like it.
0: Thank you. So what's going on with yours?
1: Well, I'll say there's a few similarities to start off with, but I think we're going to go in different directions. Mm-hmm. All right. So Fraser and White return to duty, although Fraser starts getting higher profile cases thrown his way now that he's made detective first grade. He watches the news to see if the information about Arthur Case's money's origins breaks after he gave the information to Miss White with an implied threat. But it doesn't happen. Meanwhile, the diamond in his pocket weighs heavier every day. He wants to make it into a ring to finally propose to his girlfriend. But he has serious questions about the ethics behind that. He also feels like since the case is closed, maybe it's time he got his due. But it means letting Dalton go for good, and he felt like he was getting close to discovering his identity. He had secretly gone against orders to further investigate the bank robbery, pulling the security footage of when Dalton bumped into him at the bank. He's lost in thought trying to come to a decision when Captain Coglin drops a nude case on his desk. A bank has been robbed in Midtown by four guys wearing rubber masks of dead presidents. <laughs> and that's my day after.
0: Dude, that's that sounds like it's going to be a good one.
1: <laughs> well, we'll see. All right, well, let's hear your immediate aftermath then.
0: The arrest of Arthur Case had sent shockwaves around the world and it had caused the stock market to plunge and a number of banks to fold as people had rushed to remove their money and get any business connections as far away as they could from Case's bank and associated companies. Dalton Russell sat on the beach as he read the news. He had known that there would be consequences once the truth about Case was revealed, but he was amazed at the free fall that the world economy had found itself. He knew things would eventually recover, and he did feel a little guilty, yet it was all part of the plan. He then turned his attention to his next project. This theft had been proposed a year ago, but he had finally figured out how to do it. That's my immediate aftermath.
1: Oh, I like it. I'm excited to see what, what kind of heist he's going to pull off next. <laughs> wait for it. <laughs> I will.
0: <sighs> okay, what's going on then with you and the new, the new uh, bank robber- robbery? Okay.
1: Well, Fraser and White solved the bank robbery case in no time. Turns out it was just a group of teenagers that were inspired by the movie Point Break. Takes them less than two days to bring the perps in. As he's basking in the glory of an easy bust, Captain Coughlin calls him into his office. We got a big one, Frazier, he says. You up for it? Yes, sir, Captain, Fraser replies. It's a murder case, and it's big. We got to keep this one under wraps until it's solved, and we got to solve it clean. 100% no screw-ups. You read me? Yes, sir, Captain, Fraser replies again. Who's the Vic? The captain throws another file at Keith and says, Arthur Case. Ooh, that's okay. my immediate aftermath.
0: Oh, I like that. That 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 would work really well, actually, in a, in a sequel.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So a little intrigue. Oh, very good. But meanwhile, let's get to your heist. I want to hear how he brings it all together. So give us your long term.
0: Okay. After an incredibly complex and daring break-in, the details of which could not be done justice in this simple <laughs> podcast, but it did involve seven hundred helium balloons, three remote control cars, a waxwork figure of Winston Churchill, a llama. And the celebrity, Jack Black. <laughs> Dalton Russell stood at the final door. It was a forgotten vault, the last remains of an old mansion, which had once belonged to an old newspaper tycoon. <laughs> nice. The mansion had been demolished years before. A government research lab had been built on the grounds. but this vault had just fallen through the cracks. Managing to open the vault, Dalton sidestepped the lethal security system. So far, all the information he'd found was correct. Five skeletal remains of people lying on the vault had not been in any reports, but Dalton succeeded where they had failed. He moved quickly. The files, technology, and photos would hit the world like an atom bomb absolute proof of alien life. Of course, that would just be cover for the billions of dollars worth of diamonds that were the real reason he'd broken into the vault. <laughs> And that's
1: my long time. Uh, I like it. I like it. I like how you tied it into the first one, too, with the, with the five skeletal remains, and there were five people going on the mission at the end of your first ending. I love yeah, it. Exactly, yeah. So you didn't nice. make I pay it, attention.
0: the truth came out in the end. There you go. Very cool. That's it. Thank you very much. But what's going on with yours, then? What's happening with the death of Arthur Case? Well. Hold on. What's happening with the case of Arthur Case?
1: <laughs> Frasier wasn't ready for it. The investigation into Arthur Case's murder had ended up pitting him against a faction of neo-Nazis, the upper echelons of Miss White's mysterious organization, and even corrupt forces within the police department. Within a few weeks, Fraser's life is in tatters. His girlfriend has been murdered, and his partner was horribly injured in a car accident that Fraser was convinced was no accident. Soon, Fraser ends up in Miami Beach, following up on a lead, completely cut off from police department resources. When the boat he is on explodes via a bomb by the conspiring forces against him, Fraser barely escapes with his life when he dives overboard just in the nick of time. Beaten, bloody, and battered, he washes up on shore and realizes that his life as he knows it is over. The bad guys have won. With the only possession he has left being the diamond that Dalton had given him, Fraser sells it to a fence he knows and uses the money for one last thing— a plane ticket. Nineteen hours later, he lands in France. Following up on one of the last leads he tracked down before his life went to hell, he finds himself at the door of a mansion on the Riviera. He knocks, and a man answers. Hello, Dalton, Fraser says. Nice to meet you again. After convincing Dalton that he's not there to apprehend him, he explains what he needs a whole new identity. After hearing his story, Dalton agrees to help and puts Fraser up for a couple of days. Soon, he approaches Fraser with a duffel bag containing a passport, credit cards, a large amount of cash, and several weapons. Keith Fraser is dead, Dalton says. Now, you're a man on fire. Say hello to the new you, John Creasy.
0: Oh, excellent. And that's Oh, end. very good. Thank you, yeah. thank you. Wow.
1: Technically, Man on Fire came out before Inside Man by two years, but I figured, eh, ah, it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter. No, that's very that's really good. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, thought would be could, fun. I, you could definitely use elements of that in a... And if like, and it's, and it's Spike Lee did make a sequel. Right. I like the whole death of uh, Arthur Case. That'd be a good way
1: of good jumping off point for it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Very good. Thank you, thank you. All right, well, Phil, since you are the inside man, do you have any trivia about this film for us?
0: Yes, uh, the interrogation scenes were mostly ad-libbed. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Jodie Foster dubbed herself in the French version because she can speak fluent French. Uh, the film was shot in 39 days. The Cartier diamond ring was real and worth $1.5 million. Wow. And Spike Lee said that he and William Def- Willem Defoe met in the men's room during the intermission of Julius Caesar, which a play in which Denzel Washington was was appearing in. As they were standing side by side in the men's room, Spike said, we should work together. And Defoe replied, yes, Spike, we should. And that was it. Later on, Spike sent Willem Defoe this script.
1: Wow. And that was Inside Man. Very cool. All right, so that wraps up our endings. Let's move on then to our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein Phil and I take a year from the past century of Hollywood and share our top 10 favorite movies. And this year we are doing 1980. So, Phil, why don't you take us on back to the beginning of the decade that was all about big hair, cocaine, and glow-in-the-dark shoelaces, and tell us what was happening back in the day.
0: It's funny. I'm wearing and doing all of that right now. Okay, 1980. The U.S. president was Jimmy Carter, and the U.K. prime minister was Margaret Thatcher. There were lots of riots going on around the world when I was going through this. Awful lot of riots. It was huh,
1: crazy. Good to know. So you it could say there. that 1980 was a real riot. It certainly was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So lots of riots, and also the president of Sicily was killed by the mafia. I uh, just include that one because it just sounds, you know, like a badass film plot. Yeah,
1: really. It sounds like something out of a movie, like yeah. the president of Sicily was taken out by the mafia. Like, of course he was. Yeah. How else would How a else? president of Sicily else, die? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. In fact, if you die of natural causes as the president of Sicily, you're considered a failure. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> if you don't get oh. taken out by the mob, pretty much people wash it like people just chuck you up as a washout.
0: Oh no. Thoughts and prayers with his family. Right, exactly.
1: I, I mean all due respect.
0: Yeah. But yeah, President Sicily was killed by the mob. All right. Uh, okay. It's a it's Sicily and the mafia. It is just like a good cheese and a nice wine. Right, right, it's exactly. Together so well. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I need to get the president of Sicily killed by the mafia my next, <laughs> after the ending, whatever it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, anyway.
0: The Rubik's Cube made its international debut. Robert Mugabe was elected the prime minister of Zimbabwe. And that turned out really, really good.
1: I don't know anything about that, did
0: he? No, you? he's a dictator and absolutely Oh, bunker. okay, okay. Yeah, the Soviet Union's first rock festival took place. That's all the information I know about it, so <laughs> don't ask me if he played. Because
1: <laughs> they wouldn't let any information
0: out. Yeah, yeah. Duh. Iron Maiden's debut self-titled album was released. The Iranian embassy siege took place in London and the SAS sorted it all out. It was recently made into a film, well, another film called Six Days. Uh, the global eradication of smallpox was endorsed by the World Health Organization. The mobster Henry Hill was arrested for drug possession. Now, that will never make a movie, so nah, forget that
1: one. Nah, nah. <laughs> uh, he, he was a good fella. I'm sure there would be no reason sure, to, yeah, to make a movie yeah. about
0: that. Very good. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Pac-Man was released in Japan. Back in Black was released by ACDC. And record numbers tuned into Dallas to see who shot Jr. Mm. Yes, and so we had some the birth of some very talented people. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Zoe Deschanel, Sarah Shahi, Jason Segal, Christina Rishi, Justin Rowland, Charlie Hunnam, Channing Tatum, Ali Camper, Olivia Munn, Jordana Brewster, Eva Green, Kristen Bell, Macaulay Culkin, Chris Pine, Michelle Williams, Jake Gillenhall, Warren Gosling and Ben Foster. Uh, But sadly, we did lose some greats. We lost Jimmy Durante, Bon Scott, Jesse Owens, Jean-Paul Sartre, Alfred Hitchcock, Ian Curtis of Joy Division, Henry Miller, Terence Fisher, Peter Sellers, Tex Avery, Steve McQueen, Mae West, John Lennon, and the big one, Colonel Sanders.
1: (laughs) I like that you classify Colonel Sanders as the big one and not John Lennon.
0: Well, you know, everybody knows, you know, Colonel Sanders. Who knows John Lennon? What what did he ever do? (laughs) I believe he was in a band. I think, I man think, I think right. he
1: certainly didn't deliver delicious fried chicken to people the world over. So, I mean, I think I think you were right. I think the
0: Beatles missed a good revenue stream there. <laughs> but not. They should have gone into the fried chicken business.
1: I, yeah. Yeah. That would have been something.
0: OK, so that was what happened in the year. But what uh, what did you think of 1980 as a whole for movies, Mike?
1: I thought it was a pretty good year for movies, actually. You know, I was thinking that the early 80s are definitely kind of early 80s ish. So I wasn't sure how, you know, like, I mean, the golden age of mean. the yeah. 80s yeah. from like 84 to 88 is like you know just yeah. magic but I, so I was kind of like oh, in 1980 it's kind of the cusp of the 70s is it, is it still going to be all 70s-ish films but uh, a lot of really great films that i loved and I, I i didn't have a hard time putting together a top 10 list um but i was pleasantly surprised by how many movies came out in 1980 that i that i love
0: yeah there's lots of films i would have liked to include in the top 10 but needs must indeed but there's a few there's a there's two or three doubling up but uh i think it's they're okay
1: Sounds good. Well, why don't you kick us off then, Phil, and give us your number 10.
0: Okay, well, my number 10 is a couple of films that involve time travel. Uh, The first one is Somewhere in Time, which stars Christopher Reeve, Jane Seymour, and Christopher Plummer. He's had a hell of a career. And that's this one, Christopher Reeve. He's in the modern day at the time, and he sees a picture. It's based on a Richard Matheson book. We did I Am Legend a while ago. It's another one of his stories. But uh, Christopher Reeve sees this painting of this woman, and he falls in love with her, and he uses self-hypnosis to travel back in time to meet her, and they fall in love. Uh, it's a bit cheesy but I, I just quite like the concept and I wasn't—I didn't know where it was going to go and it's always stuck with me, one of those films which has just stayed with me and the other one is The Final Countdown which stars uh, Kirk Douglas and Martin Sheen uh, directed by Don Taylor and it's about a modern day aircraft carrier which travels back through time to the day before the 1941 attack on Pearl Harbour and it's again it's a little bit cheesy but it's a, it's a great concept what, what would you do, this military force has gone back they know Pearl Harbour is going to take place what do you do? And that's the basic of the film, but it's, it's you know it's got some huge actors in there, and it's just a really good film. It just it's I like it. I like it when it's a film which makes you think, and it's it's good. And I do like a a time travel
1: film, and that's my number ten. And both of them have great endings too. So kind of not yes. you know not quite twist endings, but definitely uh, endings that are really kind of give you yeah. a kick so the ending stay with you yeah you know it's funny because as you as you read these off and as i'm looking at my list i realize there's a great number of movies on this list that would make for good future after the endings. so yes i'm uh,
0: i'm noting them down as we write good idea as i know as we talk
1: excellent yes. All right, well, uh, that was a good pick for number 10. My number 10 is a film not quite so lofty as either of those, but it is Friday the 13th. And it's the original Friday the 13th, which is not the greatest movie ever made. Well, um, oh, I knew it would be on your list, Mike. I know you're a huge <laughs> fan of the, the franchise. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I don't know if I'm a huge fan of the franchise, but I do like them. I I enjoy them quite a bit. I like slasher films in general. You know, I like the big three, the, you know, Mike Myers and, and Freddy and Jason, uh, you know, I... It, it, this one is is a, a pretty great slasher flick. It's not the first slasher film by any stretch. Uh, obviously, there were ones before this. Halloween was sort of the the big big one, but there was other ones like Black Christmas. But this sort of was the beginning of the like cheap and quick slasher film franchise yeah. mentality. And while that may be a bad thing in some cases, it could, it's also a good thing in some ways because it gave us a lot of just great entertainment in the eighties and and you know these films that you can watch now and sort of laugh at. They're not that scary, but they're fun to watch. Um, plus, it's got young. Kevin Bacon in it. So it's kind of just a, it's sort of more in there as like a a legacy pick than anything else. But that's my opinion. Well, yeah, 10.
0: Ke- Kevin Bacon makes everything good, buddy. Yeah, it's Friday the 13th. It did, you know, it's it's iconic. Right. Even though right. it didn't have. You exactly. Know, it's, not, it's it did afterwards the film it was the films afterwards which sort of became the Friday the 13th we know but it's
1: exactly it's, it started it all but it started it all and Jason has become a, a horror movie icon I mean you, you put a guy in a hockey mask and everybody in the world knows who that is so yeah
0: even my daughter knows and she's never seen it R- she's right only 11. E- exactly but, but last year she had like a like a wrap you know a bread wrap a flatbread thing and she was she was pulling holes into it and I wondered what she was doing and she put it on her face and she said look I'm Jason <laughs>
1: yeah, Ex- went, exactly right yeah.
0: exactly Okay, well, I hope she hasn't seen the film. Good God. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, oh no. Okay, so my uh, my number nine is Altered States, which was directed by Ken Russell, stars uh, William Hurt and Bob Balaban, and it's all about uh, a scientist, uh, a psychologist, who uses uh, uses flotation sensory deprivation tanks, flotation tanks, that kind of thing, and uh, psychoactive drugs to try, you know, cure things. And he ends up. Oh, it's, it's a hell of a trippy film even if I described it you know exactly what happened it wouldn't make any sense but he, he does these things going takes the drugs goes into this sensory deprivation tank and enters an altered state and he comes out like as a, a regressed caveman or a lizard man or this weird kind of thing I just it's it's bizarre and trippy I remember watching it late one night I think on the movie drone series on uh, BBC two and it was just going I've no idea what this is but I'm really enjoying
1: it right but that's did
0: it. it one of those stayed with me and I should probably watch it again just to see if I know what it was all about <laughs> Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's my number nine.
1: All right, very good. Well, my number nine is my number nine to five because it's nine to five. Oh.
0: Excellent. It almost made my list, but it kept getting pushed down. Uh, Yeah, I
1: I do really like it. The the song Nine to Five is one of my favorite songs, but I I watched this movie a few years back, and I was really amazed at how well it holds up. I mean, Dolly Parton, um, uh, Lily Tomlin, and Jane Fonda, and of course, the great Dabney Coleman, and it's just this great comedy about this sadistic boss and the women who want to get revenge on him, but it really holds up well. It's a very funny movie. It's well acted. uh, It's a lot of fun to watch, and it has that great song in it, so what more Mm. do I really need to say about it? But it did make my list. I really enjoy it. An
0: excellent film and it should probably
1: uh
0: i'm surprised it hasn't been mentioned more you know the whole me too thing coming on because it's all about a sleazy guy right treating right women like crap isn't it and them them sorting them out
1: yeah yeah
0: but no it's a great film i do like that good and uh, my number my number eight is a little film called raging bull directed by martin scorsese good Not my favorite scorsese film but you know it's robert donna de- robert de niro jake lamotta you know uh black and white it's just very well made uh i took me i only saw it like properly for the like probably about 10 years ago. Right, right. It's one of those ones that always kept me into watch, but kept going, oh, I'm going to be, I don't want to, it's going to be boring. But I watched it, just transfixed all the way through. And it's a classic for a reason. And uh, yeah, Raging Bull. You've all seen it. Well, you've probably all seen it, but
1: if not, go and watch it. It is worth a
0: watch. And he just wasn't a very
1: nice man. <laughs> right. <laughs> good pick. Good pick. Well, my number eight has already appeared on your list. So I won't say too much about it, but it is the final countdown. Um, like, I mean, you summed it up nicely. All I'll say is I was obsessed with this movie when I was a kid. I saw it on TV. And, I, you know, as a kid who was into stuff like time travel, you know, really into the science fiction and time travel, I was just transfixed by it. Yeah. And um, I've, I watched it over and over and over again. And the image of that aircraft carrier going through that big time vortex just, oh, still sticks with me. Um, I, I did watch it a few years ago i do still enjoy it quite a bit it doesn't capture me quite the same way as when i was a kid um but still a film th- i'm very fond of so that's my number eight
0: yeah it's one which uh it's, it, a remake uh would do wonders for i think you know today's technology special effects and stuff
1: absolutely I, I'm, I'm sure yeah. it'll happen at some point it's yeah. it's too good not to
0: yeah well no, i'm glad it uh, made your list as well yeah okay my number seven is a shogun assassin which was basically it's based on the, the manga, anime things, uh, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub, Baby Cards, that kind of thing. But this one, it was a whole series of films in Japan. This was the version released in Britain and America, and it basically used used 12 minutes from one film, Lone Wolf and Cub, sort of Vengeance, and then tied it in with uh, Baby Cards of the River Sticks. And it's just it blew me away when I watched it because it's just loads of slashing swords, loads of blood, limbs flying everywhere, you know, and there's this, this guy pushing his kid and this this wooden cart and there's like old blades sitting in it and it's, it's perfect when you're young watch it just going wow this is amazing you love it and it's still it still holds up still watch it; it's lots of fun to watch now and uh yeah loads and loads of blood
1: all right excellent that's my number seven. All right. Well, my number seven has also already appeared on your list. It was the other half of your tie for number 10, and that is oh, su- Somewhere in Time. Uh, and this was a movie that I didn't see until later in life, and unfortunately, I-, I knew about the ending before I watched the movie, which is which is unfortunate. If you don't know how it ends, don't don't look it up. Just watch the film because yeah, yeah. it does have a great I, did, I
0: didn't know, and at the end, I was just went, <gasps> Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. But even knowing what was going to happen, I still love this movie. Christopher Reeve is terrific in it, um, and it's just a great... I mean, Romance and time travel you know i love time i love time travel and i love any movie with, with a really great romance and so uh this one combining those two things is is really fun so that's my number seven brilliant i made up was on both our lists yeah for sure uh, okay my
0: number six it's another double whammy it's a couple of comedies this one is stir crazy starring uh, gene wilder and richard Pryor. they end up going to prison for a 125 year prison sentence and they end up getting involved in a rodeo and try to escape, just very funny, Gene Wilde and Richard Pryor just brilliant together, and some great moments, uh, always fun to watch, uh, and the other film is Airplane, which is just stupid fun, <laughs> yeah, it's the Zucker Brothers, you know, back before they burnt out, but it's, yeah, so many, you, you all know Airplane, so quotable, so stupid, so funny, but yeah, Stay crazy and Airplane, I think it'd make a great double bill for an
1: evening's entertainment. For sure. All right. Well, my number six is Flash Gordon, Savior of the Universe, starring Sam Jones. Uh, and this is a movie. You know, I, I saw it when I was a kid in theaters, and I remember enjoying it at the time. And then I did not see it again for pretty much most of my life until yeah. uh, a handful of years ago. They put out a special edition DVD of it, and I was like, I should really watch this movie again. And I absolutely loved it. It is so much fun. The visual effects are really great. Like, there's, I mean, there's a certain amount of cheese factor to it, but it's one of those films that just looks astounding. It's the so, cheese works. Yeah, it's so bright and colorful, and the, there's some really neat special effects and some fun action sequences. And Sam Jones plays the part. I mean, he's not a great actor, but he plays Flash Gordon really well. Um, and it's just a really fun, bright, exciting movie that, that I think looks fantastic. So it was kind of a no-brainer for me that this one would be on the list for me.
0: Excellent. Good choice. Uh, my this my number five is another double whammy. And I think it'd be... They're not really relatable, the films, but I think it'd make a good, good evening's entertainment again to watch these two. Uh, the first one is John Carpenter's The Fog. Uh, it's never been... Like one of my, I do like John Carpenter films, and but this one never quite, never quite works quite as well as I feel it should have. But I still do like it. I, lo- I love the start when you, the fog's creeping in and the like lights are going on and things like that. And whole Adrian Barbeau and doing the the uh, the DJ stuff. But yeah, it's, it's always it's lots of fun. It's it's a good it's a good ghost story. And don't watch the remake. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, probably the best agreed. advice I can give you on that. Uh, but also, I think watching the fog followed by and you mentioned it, or probably watch this one first, Flash Gordon. Oh, very good. Yes, because as you said, it's just it's lots of fun. It's colourful. It, it, it was a uh, Flash Gordon's one of the classic pulp characters, and I think they just they caught it really well on screen. Yes, uh, the colours, as you say, uh, Max von Sydow as Ming, is just wow. He's he's just incredible and yeah so much fun It would, and it's it's it was basically like a slightly updated version of the old black and white serials which used to be used to, sh- to show on tv when i was a kid right right they, they were they were repeats they weren't showing for the first time when i was a kid i'll just stress that but, uh, <laughs> it was like that brought up to date and it was as you say lots of fun Indeed. That's my,
1: they're my number five all right good choices my number five i'm starting to repeat myself has already appeared on your list and it is airplane Uh, which like you said it's it's just so funny and really kind of the archetypal parody film before they devolved into the sad current state of what we get passing for one today but um man another movie i watched as a kid over and over and over again and just you know just makes me laugh and still makes me laugh to this day and i can still quote it and it's it's just so much fun so how does it not make the list you know it's it's really a comedy classic certainly is excellent
0: Uh, With this, my number four is what I feel is another comedy classic. It's the Blues Brothers. John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd on a mission from God trying to put the band back together. Loads of cool musicians in it. I just love the fact that just huge car chases. uh, Just so many good bits in it. And yeah, it's the Blues Brothers. If you haven't seen it, go
1: see it. (laughs) Yeah, you really do need to see it. Well, Phil, I'm starting to get to the point where I can just predict your list based on whatever my next pick is. My number (laughs) four is not the Blues Brothers. It is The Fog. And uh, you said that uh, it's, you know, it's n- never quite worked as well for you, you know, as a John Carpenter film. For me, it absolutely works on every level. I have always loved this film as one of my favorite John Carpenter films. It's probably my favorite of his non-big movies. Like, you know, if you take out Halloween, yeah, yeah. you know, Big Trouble and and yeah. um, uh, Escape from New York, like the ones that people don't, don't know as much. Yeah. I absolutely love The Fog. It was one of the first Carpenter films I saw outside of those big ones and um, but just I I love it. it. it's it's I think it's super creepy. I love the effect of it all. I love Adrian Barbeau's voice as this radio DJ and stuff. And uh it, it's just one of those films I actually have to say I do pull it out every couple of years and watch it and I, I never get tired of it. That's my number four. Yeah. No,
0: I I I do the same, I watch it again. It's just I think there's a bit in the middle which sort of just sort of deflates a little bit for me
1: fair enough i don't i don't have that reaction but but yeah. you know but I it's, get it. It.
0: it's still got it's still got in my top 10 there you go okay my number three uh i think it might could be in yours mine is superman 2 mm-hmm. yes uh christopher reeve once again this one now had uh had Terrence stamp as general zod and you have you see you see uh you see superman going up against super super villains for the first time on the big screen it was just just amazing to watch uh although it's all very very slow wasn't it very slow and grandiose the fight, I must have been, but I did like it. Yeah, uh, still I,
1: better than the fight in Man of Steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> At I least they that. don't crash into a satellite in orbit around the planet.
0: Yes, yes, true. But a uh, little bit on the moon as well, that's, that's good. Uh, but uh, yeah, Superman 2, you've all seen it. I don't need to go into it. But uh, Clark Kent decides, Superman decides to give up his powers just as the aliens from Krypton Land as well. Bad timing, but uh, we also have some stupid superpowers. Which the bit when he throws his uh, his symbol always bothered me.
1: Oh, really? And not the... not the kiss causing amnesia. Well, I was going to get to that one as well. Oh, That's okay. the big one. All but right.
0: but th- throwing that one, suddenly this big cellophane thing, and you are going, "What? Well, what?" <laughs> and then yeah, he kissed her so hard that <laughs> right. she forgot who it was. But uh, apart from, apart from those bits. Uh, No, I really enjoy Superman 2.
1: Very good. All right. Well, my number three is a tie, and half of it has appeared on your list, although I have a feeling we may still hear from the other half. It is two classic comedies of the, the, the highest order, The Blues Brothers and Caddyshack. Um, and the Blues Brothers, I, I didn't see neither of these that I actually see until I was an adult. The Blues Brothers, I, I remember being super famous mm. always, and then I finally watched it in my twenties, and I and I fell in love with it. But Caddyshack is one of those movies where um, I didn't see it for a really long time. I think I was it was probably I would say in the last ten years. It was one of those movies I'd always seen bits and pieces on TV, and I just never gotten around to it. And
0: yeah, it, it, it always one of those films which always seems to have started like twenty minutes before. Yeah, before yeah. When you turn the channel right, in. but
1: everybody was Always love it. Everybody loved it. Everybody quoted it. You know, it's got this great cast. And it wasn't like I didn't want to watch it. I just had never gotten around to it. So when they put out the Blu ray, um, I finally was like, okay, I got to see why everyone loves this movie so much. And I have to admit, I kind of expected it to be like, I'm like, well, it's a comedy from 1980. It's probably dated it's probably not really that funny um, and man I absolutely loved it it is one of my favorite 80s comedies now I mean it, it really just is everything everyone says about it it's just everyone is in top form Chevy Chase and Bill Murray and, and Rodney Dangerfield all these great classic comics from the 80s but it just works I mean it's it's funny from start to finish so um, and it shouldn't because like, there's a gopher that's clearly a puppet and yeah, you know yeah. and B- Bill Murray is weirder than usual and there's all this stuff in it that shouldn't work. It's Cinderella story. Right right but it's, it's, it's brilliant. I love it. So those are my number three. It
0: almost by my list, Caddyshack. Oh, okay. But it right. uh, didn't quite, but no, I do like, I remember, I think I first came aware of it when I was uh, on holiday as a kid. we uh-huh. were camping and it was like, it had like a place where you could go, you know, at the pool table and pinball and stuff, but they also had a TV and caddy. it was late on. I think my mum and dad went, uh, you know, in the bar next door with some of their friends and we there was like loads of kids there and it was on the TV there and just seeing the puppet doing a dance and I was just stopping going, What's going on here? Why is there like this obvious puppet right, doing this right, cool little right, dance? Right, exactly. And why, and why is why is that guy trying to kill it? What's going on? Yeah, an excellent pick, though. I'm glad it did make someone's list. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my number two is a film which I doubt would have made your list even when I was doing it, but it is Stanley Kru- Stanley Kubrick's The Shining.
1: Well, to be fair, I like The Shining. I don't dislike it yeah, just yeah. because Jack Nicholson's in it. I think it's one of his few good performances, um, and I considered it. It just didn't make the list because it's one of those movies that I I, I watched it. I've seen it once or maybe twice, and that's kind of all. I, I never really feel the need to watch it again. You know, like it's a good experience to have seen it. Yeah, but yeah. I don't love it so much that I feel the need to go back and rewatch it every so often. So I, I do, I do like it though. I don't have any problems with The Shining.
0: I apologize then.
1: No, that's okay. I just, I just wanted to be clear.
0: No, no, I've, I feel like, uh, <laughs> I think this should be the end of, uh, after the end
1: of, uh, <laughs> obviously upset you. Phil Edwards, you failed this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, it's my number
0: two, The Shining. It's, uh, as you say, it's Jack Nicholson. I do like Jack Nicholson anyway, but as you say, it's one of his best performances. Shelley Duvall is also, for, well, everybody involved, and it's really good, and it's creepy. I, I enjoy re-watching it, I've seen it quite a few times, uh, I saw it in the pictures a few years back as well, when it was re-released. And it's just I always find there's more things to see, and you you start you start looking at the characters different ways, thinking what did they mean by this and doing that. But uh very good, and just obviously it's Stanley Kubrick, so it, it looks looks incredible, and so many great moments.
1: But uh, that's my number two. Very good choice. All right, well, my number two. Let's all say it with me. Has has already, already appeared, on appeared on your, your list. list. Yes, and it is Superman two. Um, and uh, you know, it's funny. I, I agree with what you said about the powers, but it's one of those things where. This, too, this. I mean, I love the film, but it is, it was one of the first superhero movies ever made. So you know, they, yeah, there wasn't yeah. this lineage of superhero films like there are now. Like nowadays, nobody would kind of make that mistake I feel like but back then it was sort of like eh, it's Superman who the hell knows anything about Superman nobody reads comic books you know we can we can take this character and kind of do whatever we want it's a big scale movie so to me like yes I agree that all those powers are somewhat ridiculous but they don't really bother me when I watch the film Yeah, you know it's sort of of the time. To be
0: fair though the comic books over the years especially when it started out they just kept adding to his powers until he had super ventriloquism and all that kind of stuff. Yeah
1: and I bet if you went through all 75 years of his comic books you could probably find some precedent for him pulling off that symbol yeah, yeah. or kissing someone and giving them amnesia. I mean, there's especially in those those 50s and 60s comics when things were really, really kooky. But uh, I do, much like you, I love Superman too. It's a lot of fun. Those those Christopher Reeve movies are great, especially the first two. Uh, and arguably one of the, the first big budget sequels that's better than the original. Yeah, I'll go
0: with that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Speaking yeah. of sequels that are better than the originals, I have a feeling hmm. you and I might be hmm. on the same page for our number one.
0: Hmm. <laughs> hmm, yes, I wonder. And I think this could be uh, in lots of people's number number one spot for 1980. I, I, would,
1: I would have to think that unless you're one of those people who's just not a fan of this franchise, it's everybody's number one film from 1980. Mm, it's the best
0: middle part of a trilogy out of this series of three trilogies so far.
1: Yep, that's accurate.
0: But uh, that's not very hard considering the two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, yes, it is, of course, The Empire Strikes Back.
1: Yay, that's my number one as well. I think that will come as a surprise to literally nobody who's ever listened to this podcast.
0: Yes, yes. It, uh, it, did, it did wonders. It took what was set up in the first film and stayed faithful for that, played to the rules that were set up in that first film as well, and just built on... The characters and the story and the plot to make a film which made sense and just worked really well and it was just dark, dark and gritty when it needed to be, and also a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the greatest twists in cinema history, one of the great cliffhangers, you know. And yeah, Yoda wasn't wasn't a thick little weirdo, <laughs> right? What'd you say? <laughs> uh, obviously it also birthed perviota, you know our favorite our favorite character so um... <laughs> only because it's the easiest one to do yeah right but uh yeah i mean it's it's the empire strikes back what, what, what really do we have to say about it <coughs> i that
0: was me I, me breathing into a glass it
1: sounded like you were like just trying to get up the little last bit of soda with a straw but you couldn't quite get it you know
0: yes i was mike
1: <laughs> oh boy Okay, so anyway, the Empire Strikes Back. It's awesome. The end. Yeah, we don't really need to say anything more no, about it, do we? We really don't. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's go then. Let's let's leave it at that. It's the Empire Strikes Back. You love it. We love it. Everybody loves it. That's our top ten for 1980. A pretty darn good year for movies. Yeah, lots of good
0: films there, indeed. And I uh, I knew we'd have lots of uh we we. Have a few duplicates. I was a lot on expected. this one, but I think yeah. it's just
1: kind of that time. Where, you know, we both love a lot of similar films from the eighties because we grew up watching them. There are yeah. a number of films from the early and mid eighties that are just of our generation and that a lot of people our age are really into. So I wasn't yes. surprised.
0: No, me neither, and it makes
1: a lot of sense. And they're all
0: good films, so deserve to be, you know, to be on both lists.
1: Indeed. All right. Well, that is going to start to wrap things up for us. Before we get out of here, though, Phil, why don't you tell people what we have in store for them next week?
0: Yeah, next week we're going to be doing the Secret of NIM. Yay! That's the anime. That's the animated one with the uh, childhood the, favorite of mine, the mice and things. Yeah, I remember seeing it was uh, was on a double bill with uh, some Charlie Brown cartoon. Can't remember which one. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and the second film we'll be going after the ending with is Anaconda which you know Big Monster Snake which has John Voith doing the best leering look anyone's ever done in a film <laughs> indeed it's just it's, if you've seen the film you know what it is because you suddenly just you've probably stopped it and rewound the film to go did he what the hell is he doing <laughs> it's brilliant yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we'll also be doing our top 10 favorite films of 1975
1: yes should be a jam packed episode as always please join us then in the meantime, that's going to do it for now. As always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending.
0: If you weren't aware, that's the intro to... the in... That's the introduction... Ah. <laughs> it is Citizen Kane, 1941. Orson awesome, Wells did everything. <laughs> Everything. Well, Orson Welles is the only person in it. He just all the roles. <laughs> he
1: played every role. It's yeah, like it, the, it's like Eddie Murphy posters. in uh, yeah. in The Nutty Professor. Just <laughs> That's with, what with Orson Welles. <laughs>
0: every single role. <laughs> but also, if you remember, you ever saw an episode of the Real Ghostbusters, there was a, an episode which had this ghost who was right had Rosebud in it. Anyway, I digress. I was
1: gonna say this. Yeah, this yeah. might be a tangent that yeah. I'm gonna edit out, Phil. It was to do with Citizen Kane. <laughs> surrounding him are his large family including his loving wife sarah no wait i just completely changed the words that were on the page <laughs> all right well do you have any citizen trivia for us <laughs> Yes, i, don't know.
0: Which page that? I like C- that yes. you laugh
1: even when with the things i come up with for that are completely terrible yeah well, <laughs> I, appre- know, I, just, I appreciate that
0: i just you know i just letting you feel that like you are doing something <laughs> you just want
1: me to feel like i contribute to the podcast yeah thanks citizen trivia yeah.
0: <laughs> well done mike that was
1: good well done <laughs> thanks phil Thanks. I, I appreciate that. It's good to know yeah. that I, I pull some weight around here. You know, that I do a little yeah. bit of my part. Yeah, we'll
0: bring, some, we'll bring you some pudding later. Some water. <laughs> good lad. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Okay. Get, on, okay. get on with it, Citizen Trivia. Yeah, Citizen Trivia. That
0: was brilliant, Mike. Well done. Okay. <laughs> uh, hey, Phil, uh, I got some trivia for you. Go to hell.
1: <laughs> <yeah>. Trivia this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hang on a second. Ah, got an itchy nose. Should probably lay off the cocaine. <laughs> uh, kidding, kidding, I'm kidding. I don't do. I cocaine. just had a mouthful of tea, I, there. Sorry about
0: that. I almost made a little cocaine come out <laughs> my nose.
1: I can't. Uh, I can't afford cocaine because all the meth. Oh, <laughs> <Ad-acting. laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the method acting. That's why, because those lessons are expensive. Okay, moving on. Yeah. By four guys wearing rubber masks of dead presidents, and that's my day after. All right. Well, let's hear your immediate aftermath then. Okay. Johnny Utah and it, no. <laughs> Dude, That was my turn. I was drinking. I almost spit it out of my computer. <laughs> All right. Well, Phil, since you are the inside man, do you have any trivia about this film for us? <laughs> nice one, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got <laughs> Got to say, this this won't be used in the podcast, but uh all I have is visions of you said he's like standing there, and all of a sudden, Spike Lee is like, says to him, we should work together. And all I could picture is Willem Dafoe being like, sure thing, and like reaching over the stone.
0: <laughs> 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 oh, there's, no, actually, there's Spike Lee approaching him, going, we should work together, and Willem Dafoe just going, get the... <laughs> right. What are you
1: doing? Right, exactly. Yeah. There's a town of a place, man. <laughs> right, Exactly. I was like, and they were standing next to each other in the bathroom and, you know, Willem Dafoe couldn't help. but Yeah. <laughs>
0: Wowzer. <Yeah>. Mm. <laughs> Awful lot of riots. Huh. Crazy. Good to know. So you what could say a- that
1: 1980 was a real riot. It certainly was. <laughs> See, yeah. I contribute.
0: Yeah, that worked. That worked. I contribute. I'll give you that one. <laughs> well done, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. That's a new t shirt. <laughs> well done, Mike. <laughs> but we need to find a sarcastic font.